Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Adios, old friend. Yeah, I've got no secrets and no regrets. Well, a lot of regrets, but the point is I've got nothing to hide. Kind of like the way Progressive shows you their competitors' rates. You gotta put it all out there, baby. Excuse me, miss. Does this heart belong to you? Would you like it anyway? Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparisons not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Ah, the copperhead snake. It hisses before attacking. But that's not a copperhead. That's the Sullivan's RV freshwater tank overflowing into their black one, which is backing into their vent pipe, making for a very different kind of attack. One that arrives just in time for taco night. It's wild out there. When it gets too wild, Progressive has your RV covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Uh, you know, especially, you know, this team is a, is a group of incredible guys, you know, a mixture of veterans that I've competed against my entire career and the young guys that, you know, I'm growing to appreciate. And, you know, uh, it's, it's just every single moment, honestly, out there that we get an opportunity to grow. You know, I know what it's going to take, you know, for the end of the year. So, again, just cherishing every one of those moments and trying to grow at the same time. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where what do you do when plans A and B for trying to play small ball five with no traditional center to start the season fail? Tommy? What? You move on to plan backup C. And that backup C, my friends, is Compton's finest, Tyson Stewart Hemsworth Chandler. What a week it's been for our good buddy, Ty Chan. Give it up for Ty Chan, everybody. Tyson Chandler what a backup plan C we have Tommy uh so the Lakers have won three straight five out of the last six games seven and three in their last 10 they are three and oh in the Tyson Chandler era and while they've dipped to 11th in offensive rating and that gradual I don't know the clunkiness of the offense has kind of been felt even in spite of all of that they are now 17th in defensive rating overall which is much better than the 22-23 mark they were hovering at prior and in fact over their last eight games the Lakers have the eighth best defensive rating in the league so Tommy it is in fact lit and we are finally recording a podcast episode that immediately proceeds a win first such recording of the season so glad to be doing that 
And although the last game against the Hawks kind of felt like a loss, at the end of the day, all that matters is the W that gets stamped next to the Lakers name in the record books. And I believe we are currently eighth in the West right now. So we're in the playoffs, baby. Woo! And we're feeling good. So, Tommy, um, before we get into all the nitty gritty and uh, just recap the Lakers last week and the revelation that has been Tyson Chandler, uh, just give me your overarching thoughts on just, look, there's a lot of stuff we can dissect and complain about, but at the end of the day, the Lakers are kind of right in line and right on track with where I think they should be. We are also about, what, one or two LeBron James free throws away from even being a win higher. Technically, we probably should be eight and five. With that said, how are you feeling about where the Lakers are at now? I actually, overall, I feel pretty good. Um, I'm not going to lie, when we were two and five, I definitely overreacted. Um, but I, I, I think I'm overall happy with the general trend of the team. I think the, the defense is getting much better. I mean, we were bottom five in the NBA, and we've like leapfrogged up to, I think, 18th or 17th or something. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, the offense has tapered a little bit. But the pace has remained as high as it was. And in fact, at some point we fell as low as like number five or something. And I think we're back up to number three. And that's the most encouraging thing to me because we ultimately we, we want to play fast. Um, we were saying all, you know, early in the season or yeah, I think we were both saying like, it's interesting because we both expected the defense to be there first and the offense that was going to take like a really long time to come around. And it was like a hundred percent the opposite. And I think now things are starting to level out a little bit more to like what we originally expected. And I don't know why that is, you know, I don't know if it's a, a matter of other teams or slower to implement their defense this year for whatever reason, but it seems like our offense has slowed down quite a bit. Um, not in pace, in pace we're faster, but like just in terms of efficiency. Um, but despite that, you know, we've won three in a row. Uh, we are seven and three in the last 10, which is pretty amazing. I think before the season started, I, I said like very easily, you know, 10, 12 games into, into the season, we could be 500 or slightly under. And now we're seven and six. Yeah, seven and six. Um, Although we should be better. Although we could be better. You know, but I'm not going to, like, go... It's hard to go into that because, obviously, we stole a couple as well. But, um, yeah, I think we're in a really, really good spot. It seems like we just continue to improve. And there's still kinks to iron out, but we're winning games. and, And that's what's important right now. And we'll get into the contextualizing of those wins and how we've been winning. But in my opinion, we've been winning in spite of some very glaring issues that are still present. You know, and you talked about stealing games and the last game was very representative of that fact. If Tyson Chandler had clipped his fingernails, we probably would have lost that game. So before we dive deeper into anything else, what were your thoughts on that last play where B.I. seemed like he was doing a pretty good job on Trey Young and then Trey Young just turned the corner on him, went left, straight down the middle, and then threw up the shot that big men hate, the floater. Did you think as the ball was lofted into the air that it was over for us? I 100% thought it was over <laughs> because that's like Trey Young is really good at that floater and there was a good amount of space. I mean, I thought that yeah. not only did I not think Tyson was not going to block it, I thought that he wasn't even going to deter it, you know, because mm-hmm. he was so far away and he's not, this, it wasn't JaVale. If it was JaVale, I'd be like, all right, he might block that actually. But it was Tyson back there and so I got a little bit nervous. I was like, B.I. play them so well. 
and then overclosed while there was still too much time left. I think he was afraid tra- because his release is so quick. I think he was afraid he was just going to like pop a three. Mm-hmm. So he just closed too quickly, and I was like, oh, there it is. Um, but yeah, it was an insane block. Yeah, and Tyson Chandler out of nowhere. He channeled all of the all of the energy and athleticism he has left in that body and really used it on that last play. And then, yeah, it was history from there. Tyson Chandler blocked the shot. LeBron James and the Lakers bench was, was lit AF. And uh, good times for Tyson Chandler. What a start to his Lakers career, 3-0, and and pretty much closing each and every game and playing a pivotal role in every game as well. So obviously we'll get into Tyson Chandler in a little bit. Um, I know there's a lot of big things happening in the NBA, including... Mello's tenure with the Rockets. Uh, it's about to end if it hasn't ended already. Um, on top of that, obviously, the J- big Jimmy Butler trade happened during the weekend with the Philadelphia 76ers trading Dario Saric, Robert Covington, and Jared Bayless to the Tim- Minnesota Timberwolves for Jimmy Butler and Justin Patton or whatever. I think a second rounder was exchanged in that as well. If we have time later in the show, we'll get to our thoughts on that because obviously we want to focus on the Lakers and how they've been doing. And... Yeah, talk more Tyson Chandler. Uh, before we get to that, though, as usual, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes because the more you rate and review us, that is how many more The Office related paraphernalia and t shirts that Josh Hart will continue to sport as his game day attire as he enters into the arena. The other night, I think he was proudly wearing a great Scott's Tots t shirt. So if you want more Josh Hart, slash the office crossover appeal please rate interview us on itunes also if you'd like to help support us financially in any small way you can donate a buck or two to patreon.com slash the lakers legacy pod sorry i think that's the lakers legacy podcast um with that said tommy let's talk about tyson chandler uh like i mentioned three and oh played his first game last wednesday believe it or not obviously it's a small sample size but in the three games that Tyson Chandler has played, the Lakers' defensive rating is 97.4. And so in that same time span, in the last week, that would rank them second in defensive rating right behind San Antonio. Tyson Chandler. Um, <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> All right. I don't know what else to say. He's, he's amazing. Um, but seriously, I don't think even you or I could have predicted the amount or how pivotal Tyson Chandler has become to this team. We, we thought that he'd have an effect, obviously. And for me, I thought he'd have a big effect, and I, but I thought that big effect would happen in a more trickle-down fashion in terms of once we got Tyson Chandler in, he would kind of help put everybody back into their place, and from there, we would take off. And in a sense, we have done that, but just in terms of his individual contribution as well and just the amount of minutes that he's played, he's played about, what, 20 minutes a game? Uh, yeah, 22 minutes a game, uh, closing pretty much every game and playing a, a crucial role in crunch time. I don't think even we could have predicted that. And obviously when the Tyson Chandler news first hit, you know, Suns bloggers, Suns beat writers, other opposing teams, uh, beat reporters, which kind of just, uh, scoffing at the fact that Lakers fans were were so excited and elated to have a Tyson Chandler saying, oh, you guys better watch out. You guys haven't seen Tyson Chandler play in the last three years. You guys are in for a rude awakening. And I was just like, man, we're not looking for Tyson Chandler to be like a 25 minutes per game sort of starter on this team. We're just looking for a guy who can rebound the ball, set solid screens, get some offensive rebounds and putbacks, 
and honestly just be a guy who fills the paint and takes up space in the paint as a seven footer. And these guys were acting like we were heralding Tyson Chandler as our biggest acquisition of the season. But honestly, the joke's on them because he might be. (laughs) I know it's a small sample size of three games, but Tommy, what have your thoughts been on Tyson Chandler? And I'm assuming you did not expect him to have such a big impact this early on. Now, I don't know if that's going to continue in the same extent, but it doesn't even matter because even if we cut his minutes down to like 10 to 15 minutes, I feel like he's just kind of put everybody back into their rightful place, allowed them to focus in on what they should be focusing in on. And... Honestly, Tyson Chandler at the end of the day looks rejuvenated. And I don't think he's even gotten his second win yet. He's even admitted that like he really hasn't played basketball in the last year. So he's still getting up to speed, literally. So yeah, what are your thoughts on uh, the Tyson Chandler renaissance here with the Lakers? I'm super high on Tyson this year. I think he's actually going to keep this up um, the entire year. Uh, He's been a little interesting in recent years. I think we um, talked about him as somebody who over the course of the season, would be a waiver wire target. He was, Mm -hmm. you know, on a team that was going nowhere, and obviously they drafted Aiton, and we figured they'd keep him around to mentor Aiton. Um, But we figured at some point they would cut that off, and they would just be like, okay, we're just going to waive you. You go sign with a contender. And I always kind of viewed us as having a decent shot because he's from L.A., and we actually have a competitive team this year. And it became very apparent after just the preseason and the first few games of the regular season that um, we were going to need another big man of some sort because Zubats was not going to cut it. So it all sort of made sense. And then it happened, and it was like, oh, Tyson Chandler was had a terms, you know, agreed to with the Suns this whole time, and his agent and him were just looking for a landing spot. Um And so I guess after whatever meeting happened between Luke Walton and Magic Johnson, it's like, here we are, let's, we need a backup center if we're going to try to fix this defense. And they just went out and they got Tyson and he's just like delivered on every level. Um, The last two years he's played like barely half the season or a little bit more than half the season. He's played 46 games last year. He played 47 games the year before the year before that he played 66. So he hasn't played a full season or close to a full season uh, since 2014-15 season with uh, Dallas. So I know he's 36, and this is not the same Tyson Chandler that won the championship with the Mavs or anything like that, but he still has some game left uh, for what we're asking him to do. We're not asking him to be an offensive contributor or you know, be a guy who we're going to throw you a ball and you better do something with it. We're just asking him to be a scrappy guy to be like a, a taller, uh, Tristan Thompson, basically at this Mm -hmm. stage in his career. And, you know, he's not as athletic as, as Tristan Thompson, obviously, but he's so strong and, you know, he is a, a, 100% 100% direct solution for any other opponent's like interior post-up game. You just put him out there, that guy is not going to score, dude. There's that gif that I think uh, Pete posted after the Minnesota game where Carl Car- Anthony Towns is like <laughs> using all of his energy. Like he has his shoulder dipped and he's like forcing himself into Chandler and it's like a brick wall. Like he's not budging at all. It's insane. Um, so I think that, yeah, Chandler, I'm, I'm super high on on his signing. I think he'll continue it. I do think it's very possible. 
um, especially as we get more established that his minutes come down a little bit and we see a three-headed monster rotation that also includes Mo Wagner, who brings a little bit of a different element. And I think we could end up in a situation where it's like, you know, 2028 or, you know, 2015, you know, 25, 15, 8, something like that, where Mo Wagner's getting a little bit of time as well. Um, so, but I, I, I do think Tyson will uh, continue to keep this up. He, uh, he has one very clearly defined role on this team and, and he knows how to play it. Definitely. Tyson Chandler actually, through three games, has the best plus minus on the Lakers with plus four. He is also, in terms of players who have played at least 15 minutes and above, is first in defensive rating on the team. I'm sure no one's surprised by that with 89.3. Zubats is actually first with 83.9, but we're going to throw no. that into the scrap heap. <laughs> That's trash, bro. Get, get that stat out of here. Zubats only played like eight minutes a game, so I don't know how much you can... Uh, take from that um and in terms of net rating tyson chandler is actually third on the team at 9.4 uh so obviously impact felt on the court eyeball tests and also statistically as well um he has been everything we could have asked for and more and i think with tyson chandler in terms of the way that luke walton has been using him to close out games i don't think you expected that either and we've been kind of talking about this with relation to how we view JaVale McGee's defense in terms of him being like the ultimate highlight defender. He gets tons of blocks that go into the stands that look that are so athletically impressive. He's diving on the floor and all that stuff. He's pinning balls to the glass. But as we've referenced before, JaVale McGee also is too uppity and jump, jumpy sometimes. And honestly, when he's trying to defend quicker guards... He just doesn't have the foot speed to contain them, so often he relies on them beating him and then him just uh, using his long-ass arms and wingspan to kind of recover. But usually he very rarely is able to stay in front of quicker guards and move his feet laterally, and oftentimes it looks like he's on skates guarding the perimeter. With that said, Tyson Chandler, the, the defense that he brings, while it isn't as flashy or as dynamic as JaVale McGee, I think it's a lot more grounded and stable. And I think that's why Luke Walton's been using him in the in crunch time. And you've seen it from in on the floor, just he doesn't bite on fakes. He's still super strong as that Carl Towns, you know, that video that's been circulating on the web shows of him just not moving an inch on Carl Towns. And overall, he's just a smart, savvy dude. On, on both ends, offensively and defensively. And to have just another high basketball IQ type player like that on the court who, you know, Tyson Chandler's been around the block for years now. He knows his role and it's been clearly defined for him for the last 17 to 18 years he's been in the league. He, he's fit perfectly into this team. And even on the offensive end, I feel like everybody's been talking about obviously the, the, the screens that he sets, which really just erase defenders, right? And I actually think he he helps us out in the half court because he's able to free up so much space for the pick and roll handler or the pick and pop guy who can just shoot the three if defenders go under him or if defenders just try and go over the screen because Tyson Chandler is still able to screen them off. And as Rajon Rondo has said, he probably does so illegally. And I'm sure those, those calls will start to go against him here and there. But with that said, in terms of what he's brought to the team, offensively, defensively, and in just in terms of his activity, he has really good hands as well. He's been slapping basketballs loose and all that stuff and just been tipping balls all over the place. Yeah, again, like I said, 
he he's kind of put everybody into the rightful place and allowed them to focus on what they need to focus on, whether it's the perimeter guys, maybe closing out to the shooters better because they know that they have a guy in Tyson Chandler who they can rely upon if they funnel the defense towards him, right? So do you have anything else to say about Tyson and just, I guess, the reason why, what you've seen from him closing games and why you think Luke has kind of gone that direction versus JaVale? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just echoing what you said, but I, I think it just comes down to Luke trusts Tyson as a defender more. JaVale has been very solid for us defensively, and he's by no means like a bad defensive player. He just has his pros and cons. Um, he's not as positionally stable as Tyson. Like, Tyson may not be as athletic and be able to make these like spectacular chase-down blocks that JaVale gets, but he's consistently in the correct position. Um, and so I think it's like, you know, the same reason, which I'm sure we'll talk about, why we've seen Luke close with Rondo over Lonzo and maybe go to LeBron a little bit earlier in the fourth and, than he was uh, in the very beginning of the season. But it, it's I think he's, he's really searching for a, a lineup at the end of games that is just going to be solid and not make mistakes. And um, mm-hmm. Tyson, I think, fall, falls in that category. This is Mike from the Almighty Baller Network. It's nice to have a helping hand, especially when it's tax season, and that hand is attached to a licensed tax professional. With TurboTax Live, you can talk to real CPAs and EAs on demand who can review your return with you before you file and to make sure you get your maximum refund. They can even check your work line by line so you can be confident it's done right. Who knew confidence and peace of mind could be synonymous with taxes? TurboTax Live with CPAs and EAs on demand. See details at TurboTax.com. Let TurboTax Live be your helping hand. Visit TurboTax.com today. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it's just so nice to have these, look, they're older guys, obviously, all both above 30, but the dynamic that they bring as two seven-foot-plus defenders who are strong and stout, they're not as athletic and fast and all that as they used to be, but put on our team and just, you know, covering the deficiencies we already had, it, it's just, it's it's been great, and it's been a revelation, like I said, Um Let's let's move on to just talking about before we delve into the rotations, Rondo versus Lonzo, Luke Walton's, uh, how how Luke Walton has managed the rotations and minutes of all the players amidst this seven three run that the Lakers are on. And actually, the Lakers have also been five and one in their last six, five and one since Magic Johnson cursed at Luke, and that went public to everybody. And Magic Johnson reprimanded Luke and all that. The Lakers are five and one since then. Let's just talk about the Lakers in general. You had mentioned that things had kind of leveled out and while their offensive rating has kind of dipped a bit their defensive rating has also risen in that same respect and in spite of all that they are still third in pace and i think the biggest thing for me is you know people were talking about coming into this year and we saw it at the beginning of the year as well just the lakers poor three-point shooting you know their lack of three-point shooting and I think even that has leveled out and we've seen an ascension to the mean with regards to the three-point shooting the Lakers are now overall 17th and 17th in the league in three-point percentage at 35 percent and this is still with LeBron shooting 31 percent from three Kuzma shooting 29 percent from three KCP shooting 28 percent and Svima Kailu still shooting 14 percent I think he's only hit like one three all year um so I still expect all of those numbers to rise from LeBron, Kuzma, KCP. And 
What's funny is Rondo, Hart, and Lance, by the way, are shooting 45%, 43%, and 42% from three, respectively. <laughs> so obviously, I think those numbers will go down. But, you know, even with Lance and Rondo, they don't shoot a high volume of threes. So they may actually stick in that range because they've taken a lot of really good three-point shots. And if you notice, they'll only take three-point shots that are wide open. Since October 31st, the Lakers are shooting in their last six games in that time span, they're shooting 37% from three, which would be seventh in the league during that same time span. So a lot of things have kind of evened out and leveled out for the Lakers in these last 10 games. At the end of the day, there has been mass hysteria over just how slow the start has been for LeBron James and the Lakers. I think today LeBron James even said that, you know, for a second he was about to crack Um, But then he realized that he signed up for this and to remain patient and all that stuff. And I think we've even fallen, like you mentioned at the start, we've even fallen into that panic mode sort of deal where we haven't necessarily been able to take a step back and look at the bigger picture and apply that perspective and context that we we typically like to do and apply. Um, But honestly, now that we're here, seven and six, above 500, and we're able to assess things from, I guess, a more removed level, The Lakers, all of their losses have come from teams that made the playoffs last year. Um, They've pretty much won all the games they were supposed to. Some of them against the Mavericks and the Suns were ugly. Sorry, the Mavericks and the Hawks were ugly and probably should have resulted in losses, but they won them anyways. And again, the the losses that they have are against playoff teams last year and they've only been blown out once and that was against the Toronto Raptors and I think that was just one of those the Lakers mailed it in kind of games so given all that Tommy what are your thoughts now again just on this Lakers team and the narrative surrounding the Lakers rocky start I I think this is just the nature of being the Lakers especially with LeBron James now where the media is continually going to push this narrative that LeBron James made the wrong choice We told him he's not going to make the playoffs. Tom Haberstroh went on ESPN radio and said, I I was telling you guys, the Lakers are only going to win 42 games this year. And we're seven and six now. And I feel like we're right in line with where we should be. The same people who are saying the Lakers are not going to make the playoffs and they're only going to win 42 games are also the same people who during the summer said every every time LeBron James has come to a new team, it's always taken him time to gel. And that's exactly what we're seeing. So Why are they all of a sudden now acting like we're supposed to be in panic mode? There are obviously tons of things to fix. Things still look ugly rotation-wise. Things still look ugly positional battle-wise with regards to Rondo and Lonzo. But I guess if you were in panic mode, why are you not in panic mode now? And I guess what do you have to say about just the surrounding narrative that it seems like the Lakers are the third worst team in the West when actually we're in the playoffs right now. And it doesn't seem like other teams are getting as much flack as the Lakers. Do you you just chalk that up to that's just the nature of the beast when it comes to the Lakers being relevant again in the NBA? I think it 100% is that. It's it's the nature of the beast and it's the nature of a LeBron James team. Uh, When you have one of the best players in the NBA, people are going to expect certain things. You know, if it's... Paul George coming here alone or Jimmy Butler coming here alone or somebody of that caliber, maybe you don't have these types of expectations, but you get the LeBrons or like the Currys or KDs of the world and it creates certain expectations for your team. And people just completely ignore context in those situations because it's easier 
to be like, oh yeah, there's there's no way this is going to work. And then early in the season, it doesn't work. And it's like, see, I told you this wasn't going to work. You know, before there's been enough of a sample to where we actually know, let me just make sure that my take is heard. You know what I mean? So, yep. and, and that's just how it's going to be. But I think overall the, uh, um, you said also, you also, we were also talking about like just how the overall impressions, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think overall it's, you know, everything they said and everything they preached, we've seen. It's been a lot of pace and LeBron, which people said couldn't be done on a LeBron team. LeBron has been what, bottom 10 slash bottom five or something in pace in the NBA for the last, I don't know, four years or so. Um, we're number three in the entire league in pace. We're blowing our pace from last year completely out of the water. Um, and that's with getting a few older guys who are in the rotation now. Uh, we are playing solid defense recently. The offense is probably going to come around. The rotations, you know, I think are going to come around. I think we're in a really, really good spot, actually. We got through a really tough stretch of opening schedule. And because we have guys like Rondo and Lance and JaVale and Tyson and LeBron now... These road games that we should win are not just 50-50 toss-ups. Because Mm -hmm. for the past few years, we've been used to all these games of, uh, you know, these games of, okay, well, we're playing this team at home, so we have a decent chance of winning. You know what I mean? Because we're at home. But if we played that exact same team on the road, we'd have no chance of winning because we can't play on the road because we're too young. And inconsistent. Um, I feel like some of that is going away. I think we're going to be a better road team than we've been in previous years. And so I think, I guess what I'm saying is, I think those types of 50-50 games in the past that we otherwise would have lost, we're going to have a much, much better shot at this year. Um, and we've already made it through so many games that would have been tough to win, like no matter what stra- no matter what point of the season it, it was. Um so the schedule is going to get a little bit easier, and I think we're going to continue to gain steam. And you know, once the schedule lightens up and we start racking up wins, and people start getting more and more confidence, it's just going to be like a freight train. You know, that's what happens with these yeah. LeBron t- teams is they just start to build and build and build confidence to the point where they start to feel like they can't lose because they have LeBron on the team and everybody else is playing so well. How could they possibly lose? You know? Yeah, and at the end of the day. The Lakers players, and and people will always go back to this when trying to criticize the Lakers and and the roster that they've built. They'll always go back to, I can't believe that they signed Rondo, JaVale, Lance, Beasley, etc., etc. Look, Michael Beasley hasn't played yet, or hasn't played at all, or very, very much at all. But with regards to JaVale, I mean... Nothing else needs to be stated with regards to his contributions this year. Rajon Rondo, from a night-to-night basis, could be up and down, and obviously people have a lot of gripes with him taking Lonzo's minutes. But overall, I mean, you couldn't have asked for better production than a 48% shooting Rondo who's shooting 45% from three and actually hitting one a game, you know? Uh, 6.8 assists in 26 minutes. Nine points, five rebounds, seven assists in 26 minutes. Um, And then Lance Stevenson, one trend that I have liked that Luke's employed, since I know we're going to get to our gripes with Luke, um, is the fact that it seems like he has Lance on a shorter leash and he has a he's been more self-aware with how to handle Lance, which is always like, test him out for three to three minutes. And if he's wild and crazy Lance, uh, pull him. But if he's actually producing and he's playing smart, which he's shown the ability to do so, 
keep him in there and, and see if he can catch fire, you know, or lightning in a bottle, which he has done and he's swung games for himself. And Lance Stevenson, like I mentioned, is shooting 43% from three, hitting 1.2 a game. And so that's a recent trend that I've liked from Luke, just him be, knowing how to properly kind of weigh the cost and benefits of playing born ready Lance Stevenson. So even with regards to the role, the crazy wacky role players that the Lakers signed, I feel like they've even come into form and they've been the best versions of themselves that you could have hoped for. And once our young guys kind of start clicking with each other and we find that groove now that we have a legitimate backup center, I think it's off to the races from there. And even KCP, you know, has been kind of rounding into form as a pretty good role player recently. Obviously, the defense is always going to be there. Honestly, really solid. Yeah, really solid at getting his shots and taking them and making them with confidence. And I think taking the right shots is important too. <laughs> but that, but and again, there I even give some props to Luke, and I've criticized Luke a lot this year. But Luke recently has gotten KCP good looks, and it's up to Casey. He's putting KCP in a position to make a good choice, and he does. And just like with Lance and Rondo, he's not overplaying him just because he's been playing well. You know, he he knows that Josh Hart is overall going to be probably more steady for us. Um, and I give him props for recognizing that. Yeah, so at the end of the day, my final conclusion on where the Lakers stand right now is it's not as bad as people make it out to be. There are other teams who I think should be more in panic mode, you know, especially with regards to the Houston Rockets, obviously. Um, the Celtics are in the same place as the Lakers, and the Lakers have a lot more reason to be in the position that they're in with the roster turnover because of the suspensions um, not having a legitimate back of five entice the Chandler for the first seven games of the season or so so now that we, we kind of have everything in place I think we should only continue to to get better and improve and find I think a better level of consistency from here on out so I, I really like where the Lakers are at and hopefully we can I don't know, just become more consistent throughout 48 minutes. And maybe I'll just chalk up the sloppiness of the Hawks game to second night of a back-to-back and the Lakers uh, playing down to their opponent. But hopefully we can get get back to that. During the Kings game, they did a really good job defensively blowing the Kings out at the end of that game. You know, The Lakers at the end of the day, right now, the thing that they need to work on is, I, I mentioned it on Twitter, but the Lakers give new meaning to the NBA is a game of runs because they can go up by 15 points and immediately relinquish that in the next two minutes, you know? And so if they can learn how to shore that up and have a little more composure when they have that lead, uh, I think that's the next step Next step in terms of consistency that the Lakers can hit. Um, but yeah, with that said, they're in a good place and I'm excited that we are above 500 and hopefully we, we never look back from here. With that said, do you have anything else to add? We're two games behind the Denver Nuggets for third in the West. Woo! There you go. Two games behind the Denver Nuggets. So I don't know why people are panicking. I don't know why people like Tom Haberstroh are saying, I I, I had this team pegged as a 42-win team. And by the way, when he was naming the Lakers free agent signings this year, he conveniently left out JaVale McGee. Surprise, surprise. Um, With that said, before we talk about Luke's rotations and just the... uh, the Lonzo Rondo dynamic and how he's been managing the rest of the guys. And I guess just even the half court sets that he's been implementing. I want to turn it over to our sponsor. So after this live read, we'll find you guys back after the turn and we will talk about the rotation and maybe some LeBron James as well. And just what we've thought of the uh, fourth quarter execution, late game execution. But yeah, we will catch you guys after the turn. 
Hey guys, so obviously if you're listening to this podcast, you enjoy watching basketball, you enjoy Lakers basketball, but what happens when the Lakers aren't doing so well and the game is pretty much lost, or let's say you're biding your time waiting for the Lakers game to come on and you have to watch this really crappy matchup between the Atlanta Hawks and the Orlando Magic. Well, what you can do is bet. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at mybookie.ag. MyBookie has been in business for years. They've got great online reviews and their mobile site is super easy to use. So, you know, if you would like to support the podcast, please also support our sponsors. And tonight we want to recommend MyBookie. Um, make sure to follow MyBookie on Twitter at, at BetMyBookie. They personally respond to every mention and DM, not to mention that they've given away nearly $10,000 in free money to their followers this football season and now basketball season. So log on to MyBookie right now and don't miss out on your last opportunity to collect the industry's biggest bonus. Use promo code LakersLegacy and you'll get your first deposit matched 100%. That's right. What you put in will be matched 100%. That's promo code LakersLegacy. You play, you win, you get paid. MyBookie.ag. Bet my bookie on Twitter. Hey, this is Brian from the Almighty Baller Podcast Network here to talk about keeps. So there's just no two ways to say it. Losing hair is awful. Nobody wants to go through it. And two out of three guys are going to experience hair loss by the time they're 35. This is the world we live in, people. Now, I personally haven't started this you know, downturn, but I got a couple of people close to my life that go through it. And they always say, should have started it sooner rather than later. So anyways, these FDA-approved products used to cost so much, but now, thanks to Keeps, they're finally inexpensive and easy to get. For five minutes, now and starting just $10 per month, you'll never have to worry about hair loss again. So they've ironed out the process. Basically, you just take a photo of your hair and you shoot it over and a licensed physician will review the information and recommend the right treatment to you and then, boom, shipped right to your door every three months. So Keeps is only $10 to $35 a month. Uh, plus, now you can get your first month free uh, to, to what? To keep your hair. So come on. What are we talking about here? To receive your first month of treatment for free, go to keeps.com almighty. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash almighty. That's a free month of treatment at keeps.com almighty. Keeps hair today, hair tomorrow. All right. So we are back. Tommy, let's quickly talk about Luke Walton um, his rotation management and the Lonzo and Rondo dynamic that we've seen in the last few games. Is it as bad as we think? What's going on with Lonzo? What have your impressions been of the way that Lonzo or the way that Luke has handled this Lonzo situation? The last three games, Lonzo has not closed the fourth quarter. Um, I think there were one or two games where that was a little justified, but at the end of the day, we just know that Lonzo provides really good defense and it doesn't really make too much sense to a lot of people why Luke wouldn't have that out there, even if, let's say, the unit out there is rolling with, with Rondo. So, yeah, if you could give me your thoughts on just how you feel Luke has handled that situation and, and why you think he's doing, why you think he's, he's, he's putting Rondo out there as much as he has and, and do you think inevitably that things will sort of start to shift and maybe Lonzo will make it a little more apparent and force his force Luke's hand to, to put him out there. But uh, do you think that's justified or yeah? Give me your thoughts. So at first I thought, and part of me still does think this, but at first I thought that Luke was, you know, fearful for his job and was just thought that Rondo was the more solid closer 
and he could rely on him more and he was less likely to make a mistake. And I still think that's part of it. Um, but now I'm starting to think that a bigger part of it could be that Luke in the front office are kind of playing a long game with Lonzo, you know? They've had these situations in the past with guys like, you know, Randall and Nance and, like, D'Angelo and pretty much any other guard on the roster when uh, we had those guys. And it always felt like they were baiting these guys into trying to show that they can push it to the next level. Um, For whatever – I mean, for obvious reasons, you don't really need to see that from Kuzma because Kuzma is playing at that level every single night 100% of the time, whether his shots are going in or not. And – B.I. and whatever his own way is has proven that he can be that kind of guy too. But Lonzo so far has not exactly proven that he can be that guy who down the stretch is going to make perfect decisions and he wants to be out there and he wants to take the game over and win in whatever way he wants to do that. Um, so I'm part of me thinks it's like a long game where, you know, let's play Rondo more early in the season and then start to taper him off a little bit later. Um, just to give Lonzo a little bit of pressure to elevate himself, but I, I'm not exactly sure. I, I do think eventually Lonzo will start to overtake Rondo um, because he's just better. You know, he. It's not that Rondo's bad. It's just Lonzo is averaging you know five assists and one and a half turnovers. He's like a three to one assist to turnover ratio in inconsistent minutes with like wonky lineups. He's shooting much, much better from three. He's shooting uh, much better from the field. Uh, he's still not really getting to the free throw line, but his free throw percentage is higher on the small sample. Um, and he's still playing defense. And I think that's a big thing. If, if ever, anybody saw Pete's tweets from today, he was talking about how sometimes people perceive, you know, in certain coverages, oh, Lonzo's getting beat to the basket. And then it turns out that, you know, they were running like a drop coverage or whatever. And it was actually JaVale who was supposed to close harder Mm -hmm. to not let, you know, Trey Young or whoever get all the way to the rim. So I I think Lonzo is just better overall in so many ways. And he needs to be more consistent for sure. And uh, it's just a matter of I'm not sure if he's going to get to that consistency level this season. But I think part of what they're doing with Ronda right now is trying to see if they can push him to that level. How much do you think politics plays into all of this as well? Just because everybody is kind of putting this on Luke, right? But LeBron James is also on this team. And you have to think that LeBron James is downloading and relaying to Luke Walton who he's most comfortable on the floor with and who he trusts the most. And while I'm sure he loves Lonzo Ball and his potential, I have to think that LeBron also just feels more comfortable having Rajon Rondo out there, in spite of the fact that even if Rajon Rondo gets a a wide-open pass from LeBron James, he's likely not going to take that shot and he's going to dribble first. You know, but just having that veteran presence on the court with him, I think, do you think that plays into this at all? I don't really think that plays into it because I I, I just don't... I don't think at this stage in the season LeBron would care enough to make that kind of call with Luke because it's been like the whole season. It's not like, Oh, we were only losing those games in the beginning because Lonzo was closing. You know, we weren't, we didn't have like the last three games in a row. We at various points had 15 plus lead uh, point leads. Right. So, uh, and, and, you know, before the Toronto game, 
you know, similarly against Portland, and I think Dallas was before that. We also had big leads in all those games. So that just wasn't happening early in the season anyway. So I, I just don't know that it like anybody on the team could have actually perceived that the reason we're winning now is because Rondo is playing more in the fourth. You know, it, it doesn't really seem like these things are related at all. So I, I just don't totally buy that argument. And, you know, on the, on the flip side, Luke has had a history of questionable fourth quarter decision-making, you know, for everybody remembers those long periods of time where he would just play Nance over Randall to close games just because Nance was less likely to make a mistake than Randall, although Randall was probably more likely to just win you the game. Um, similar things he did with, uh, you know, D'Angelo and, like I said, various point guards we had uh, around that time, but including Lou Williams. Um, he was he was more likely to close with those guys just because it was it felt safer, and I think that's kind of maybe part of what he's doing with Rondo too. I think it, it plays, I mean, I think it, there's a, a small percentage. I, I think it's a factor in, in, in some small way, just because, you know, LeBron has already said there were a couple of moments where he felt like he was going to crack and all of that stuff. And just in terms of having that comfortability with another veteran on the court, when most of the time out there, he's been surrounded by Kuzma, BI, you know, Hart. Just to have that safety valve of having another guy he can trust, I think is important. I don't think it's a big factor, but I think it does play a role um, even as early as the start of this season because as LeBron has stated himself, he's been near the brink of insanity. Um, but I think when it comes to actual basketball play and and the type of player that Rondo is, you know, for better or for worse, the Lakers' execution in the fourth quarter has been a lot of iso ball and just give it to LeBron to shoot these step back threes or give it to BI to do these ugly post-ups. And it's, it's just been a lot of dribble ISO ball. And in that respect, if they're not running a motion offense where, where guys are moving around a lot, setting off ball screens and cutting, and the only guys who really do that right now, regardless of what system is being played is Kuzma and Hart. I kind of feel like the reason why Rondo's out there is as, not only as a safety valve veteran, but also as a safety valve sort of playmaker. When if a play breaks down and let's say LeBron James has eaten up 20 seconds of the shot clock, has pump fake, the guy's not biting, and he just needs to throw it over to Rondo, I feel like Rondo could is, is, is more, right now, more so than Lonzo, the type of player who can create something out of nothing off his own dribble. Where Lonzo would just kind of just chuck up the three, or Lonzo would drive it into the paint, leave his feet and then just pass it out to somebody. Whereas I feel like Rondo, he still has the ability if the ball is swung to him to create something out of nothing off his own dribble, you know, do the paroling Steve Nash thing around the paint until he finds somebody. Because Rondo is the type of guy who even at this stage is able to enforce an offense and he's able to kind of dictate where people go and force people to move even when they're not moving, if that makes sense. So do you see any credence to that? in terms of the type type of player that Luke may want out there, even on the offensive end, even though I guess intuitively it doesn't make sense to have a non-shooter out there, but in terms of having another playmaker, because the sets that they run, and I put sets in, in quotation marks, has largely been iso ball just to relieve LeBron James with another playmaker. Because right now, Lonzo is, is not that type of playmaker, if that makes sense. No, it does, and I totally buy that argument. And I think that's like just completely in line with, with what I was saying earlier, which is I think Luke views this as the safer move. 
Mm-hmm. Um, beyond Rondo being less likely to make a mistake, like you said, he's more likely to not let the pressure uh, affect him and cause him to do something he wouldn't otherwise do. Uh, whereas we just don't know that about Lonzo yet. So, I mean, these are all fair arguments, and I think the ultimate goal is to hopefully get Lonzo to a point where eventually he can be that guy, but he has to get better himself, too. That's like, I would be more upset about this if it was so clear, like, we're just holding back the next Magic Johnson on the bench for no reason except for Luke's stubbornness. It's not that at all. It's Lonzo has to get better, too. Sure. All right, so let's move from Lonzo to just talking about the fit of the young core right now. So obviously we've been winning with the starting lineup of Lonzo, Ball, Cal Kuzma, Brandon Ingram, LeBron James, and JaVale McGee. But I think out of all this, and obviously Brandon Ingram, Lonzo, Ball, great defensively. Brandon Ingram pretty much had Buddy healed, frustrated the entire night against the Sacramento Kings. Uh, he was on Trey Young for a lot of the fourth quarter and did a really good job containing him. And I tweeted this kind of jokey tweet out, you know, during the off days last week. Pretty much the essence of the tweet was saying that it's funny that out of our young core guys, the deficiencies that one guy has can be filled by their direct counterpart, if that makes sense. So Lonzo Ball, if you just gave him some of Josh Hart's qualities and vice versa, you'd have the perfect player. Brandon Ingram, if you just gave Brandon Ingram Kyle Kuzma's off-ball cutting abilities and ability to shoot, and not even just in terms of hit shots, but even in the way that Kyle Kuzma shoots, that quick trigger, um, Brandon Ingram would be the perfect player. If you gave Kyle Kuzma Brandon Ingram's defense, he'd be the perfect player, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, so what have your thoughts been on just the fit of Brandon Ingram with Lonzo, with uh, Kyle Kuzma, Lonzo Ball, but more particularly Brandon Ingram's continued fit with uh, LeBron James? And obviously, like we said, def- defensively, you can fit Brandon Ingram anywhere. But offensively, it's looked very clunky. Brandon Ingram hasn't shot very well the last few games. And in the fourth quarter, he's still being isolated a lot. He's taking a lot of his shots in the mid-range. And it just hasn't been pretty, and we haven't seen this fluid Brandon Ingram that we've been accustomed to, where he's just driving it into the lane relentlessly, using his playmaking vision. Although I will say against the Minnesota game, when he had six assists, that was more in line with the Brandon Ingram that we saw last year, who was playing a lot of point guard. I feel like we've relegated this guy to becoming a Carmelo Anthony-type player, who's not even as good as Carmelo was in his prime when he was a elite mid-range jump shooting guy you know Brandon Ingram takes so long to get into his stance and just his jump shooting setup that it just kills a lot of the offense leaves guys standing around and we just end up looking stagnant and and most of all Brandon Ingram just ends up looking super clunky and looks like he's just forcing the issue a lot of the times here so what have your thoughts been on just his general fit with the team thus far offensively because we already know what he can bring defensively I think clunky is is pretty much a good way to sum it up. Um, Lonzo, LeBron, and Kuzma in particular are very, very high IQ, quick ball mover players. And Kuzma himself is a scorer. But despite Kuzma having one less year of NBA experience, I know he's older than Ingram, but despite having one less year of NBA experience than Ingram, just seems like he is less of a ball stopper and he wants to score. You know, Kuzma is in the, in the game to score, but you just never really get the feeling that he's just holding the ball. He's either passing it, making or making his position on the court or the position of his teammates better by doing something with the ball. 
Ingram sometimes it's just like he's so slow to make a decision about what he what he wants to do. So you know we'll get on a possession and it's like boom 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 five passes in the first six seconds of the shot clock, and then it gets to Ingram and there's just that like awkward pause. Yep. And sometimes he ends up you know continuing to move it, but it always feels like there was a thought. You know what I mean? Like he had to think about something or he had to stand there and then like wave JaVale McGee over and then try to use JaVale McGee to, you know, get around his guy so he could try to make a move towards the rim and use his length. But, you know, as Pete and I think other people pointed out today, um, or maybe I just read some, I thought there was some stuff on Twitter about it, but, uh, because Ingram is not playing with a stretch five anymore, like he was for large stretches with, uh, Brooke Lopez, or honestly even Randall, because he could play a little bit on the perimeter. Uh, it's making a, a lot more clogged up and crowded in the paint. Um, and it's making his drive ratio a lot lower than it was last year. But of course, that's still like a chicken or the egg problem because Ingram also loves to take, you know, like the most inefficient shot you can take in basketball, which is the contested mid-range jump shot. Um, and like, I think Pete posted today... Um, or tweeted something today about how Ingram is pretty efficient shooting at the rim. He's pretty efficient shooting threes, but he's quite inefficient shooting in the mid range. And he takes a pretty good percentage of his shots from that distance. So I don't know how much of that I blame on him and just his natural tendencies. And I don't know how much of that I blame on the coaching staff for not putting him in a position to where he can't make those mistakes Mm -hmm. because they're constant, you know, their offense is like sometimes designed to get Ingram the ball in a situation where he can isolate. And I just don't know how that could be a goal. You know what I mean? Like given the way that he looks and given where he is at this stage in his career. So I think definitely part of the blame for, I put on the coaches for that, but overall it's led to a clunky product so far. Yeah, I think if he wants to take mid-range jump shots, then the shots that he should be taking are the ones designed for him to come off curls where he immediately just shoots it, you know? Those types of shots are fine, and he can hit those, but the ones where, that we hate are the ones where he's like... Yeah, but we hate the ISO ones. Yeah, the, where he's, he's kind of toying with the ball, like he's about to do like an and one street move on the defender, but it never really he never really creates that much separation, and he ends up just taking a contested shot anyways, and it's just like, oh man, you just killed 10 seconds of the shot clock, and you took a bad shot, you know? So that's the type of shot that we would like to see less of from Brandon Ingram, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully the coaching staff can help in that department. In the Minnesota game, we saw a lot of promise with him taking, you know, those step-in three-pointers, but the last two games, that has kind of been non-existent. Uh, five for 17 in the Sacramento game, three for eight in the Atlanta game. So like you, like you said, it's it's partly the ingrained tendencies that Brandon Ingram has as a player and just what he's been told in his last three years. You know, you're supposed to be this go-to scorer guy. I think there's some of that that still needs to be kind of lobotomized from him a little bit. And that's up to the coaching staff to tell him like, okay, we I, I know we said that you were going to be this type of player, but look, we got LeBron James now and you're clearly continuing to improve on defense so maybe we kind of need to tweak your player profile a little a little bit more and I know Lakers fans may view that as a slight on Brandon Ingram's ceiling or potential but you know at the end of the day we got to find a way to make these pieces work or else we're gonna have to consolidate and ship them off so yeah I agree with you I think it's a little bit of both you know part of it is 
the the onus needs to be put on Brandon Ingram, but also the coaching staff also has to put him in better positions to succeed, knowing now his tendencies, what he's best at, and what will benefit the team most overall. Look, it's great that B.I. can be this defensive juggernaut or whatever, but let's not kid ourselves, man. What if this guy's just Trevor Reza? What if he's just this game correctly? What if he's just Luol? Well, that's what I was saying. But that's not a bad player, right? But you just got to make sure that he's Luol Deng. Exactly, dude. Just then make him like that defensive player who is focused on moving the ball, creating play. Like even Sean Livingston would not be like a terrible comparison for him. Like maybe yeah. we eventually hope he could be. Just move the ball, use your length to cause disruption, hit some mid-range post-up shots, you know, like uh, hit some corner jumpers, but don't like hold the ball and try to go one-on-one all day and night. Yeah, I agree. Um, with that said, let's close the show and just talk about the, the team's fourth quarter execution. And I, I, get, I guess primarily LeBron James in, in, in the clutch. What have you thought about the step back threes, his tendency to also kind of yo-yo around with the ball only to shoot a mid-range jump shot or a three-point shot? At the end of the day, are you a little bit concerned with LeBron James as a elite closer do you, or do you think he's still just kind of weighing things in terms of how much he should exert himself and just, are these all just business decisions at this point? Or is part of it too that he's uh, losing a bit of steam? No, I, I don't think it has anything to do with LeBron's closing ability. I think he's one of the best closers, closers in the NBA as he has proven time and time again. Um, I think I'm, if any, if you want to draw any concerns from from that whole thing, it's that we don't have a fourth quarter offense. It's, you know, it's like we run some plays in the beginning of the game and then it's transition or nothing, you know, transition or semi-transition or nothing. And in the fourth quarter, they want to slow the game down because they have leads, which I don't think they should be doing. You know, that's what, another thing that happens is like we start the fourth quarter with these veteran lineups of Rondo and, uh, and Stevenson and KCP and it's like they have this natural tendency to be like, oh, we're up 18, so we're not going to play as fast now. We're going to play you know, a slower game and move the ball around and take time off the clock so we can hold on to this lead. But that's just not how we play. So you can't change yourself and what you're trying to do. So when we don't have pace, our offense just looks like complete trash. you know. And that's something, again, that the coaches need to address and figure out a way to fix that. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's easy to fall into the trap of LeBron is the system in the fourth quarter, right? Well, and yeah, I, but I, I wouldn't, again, would you, do you blame Luke Walton for being like, LeBron, give it to LeBron? No, I don't whatever. blame him, but I just think there needs to be some sort of actions. Like when he was in Miami, was it largely give the ball to LeBron and let him figure it out? Yeah, it was. But he had all kinds of guys doing all kinds of crazy stuff off the ball to like put him in a position to either score himself or make an amazing pass because LeBron's ability to mm-hmm. pass is so elite, you know? And you put him in the mid post and you have guys like curling off crazy screens, going max speed, looking for threes and other guys simultaneously diving hard to the rim, like he'll find all those guys. But you have to put him in those positions. LeBron is not Kobe Bryant, throw it to LeBron and let him dribble for 
16 seconds and then take a jump shot. That's just not his game. It's like, can he do that? Yeah, he, he will win you some games doing that. But that's just not his game. And, and, you know, the coaching staff has to put him in a better position. It's not his game, but we've made it his game. And I think at the end of the day, what you're saying is trust the pace right? Pace process, pace yeah. Trust the pace Exactly. Um, no, but yeah, I agree with you. Look, Kuzma, Hart, their player types and player molds are intuitive for just playing alongside LeBron, right? The the two other guys that we need to get along with the program are Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball. And Lonzo Ball, you'd think, would just fit very naturally. But I think right now, Lonzo Ball is still having confidence issues and just he lacks the assertiveness right now. In the Atlanta Hawks game, I think he played one of his best games in the last week, right? And unfortunately, Luke still benched him and uh, played heart over him. But I think that's the progress we want to see from Lonzo Ball, who, even if his shot is not necessarily falling, he's the guy who's pushing the pace. He's throwing lobs up to LeBron. Um, you, you can tell when Lonzo Ball is engaged because his dribble just has so much speed, energy, and force to it. You know, when he kind of pounds the rock and it looks like he's an energizer bunny out there. That's when Lonzo Ball's engaged, but too often we've seen him just kind of walking around on the perimeter waiting for the ball to come to him, and then he's like, oh, I better shoot this three because that's all I can do, you know? And that's the Lonzo Ball we can't have. Um, so I think it's just it's just a matter of getting the more assertive and intentional Lonzo Ball, and I think the more times he's that, the more Luke will trust him in the fourth quarter. But yeah, any, any last thoughts on the Lakers and uh, where we go from here? Uh, no, I think I think we uh, covered it. Cool. So the Lakers play on Wednesday. We play Dame of Thrones again, Damian Lillard. If we can win that one at Staples Center, I will be very impressed. No, that'll know? be huge because we've already beat Portland once. This is our third game against them. Uh, if we win this one and we win the next one, there's a chance. I mean, Portland's played well this year. There's a chance we end up in a tiebreaker scenario. It, it just always helps to have these divisional uh, type wins or sorry not divisional uh, conference wins yeah and also our schedule has been relatively easy these last three games so I want to really be put to the test here and see whether all the momentum we've gained this last week actually amounts to something and if we can beat Portland that would be huge uh, because right after that the Lakers play the, the Orlando Magic on the road the Miami Heat right after that and then the Cleveland Cavaliers so I mean we're in a really good stretch right now to take advantage of our schedule and uh, make amends for the tough competitive schedule we had to start the season off. So, I mean, realistically, if we can get out of this next week, um, by next Wednesday, what three and one, that'll put it that'll put us at ten and six. So that would be very impressive. Um, yeah, but it all starts with Wednesday against uh, Damian Lillard, Tyson Chandler once again continuing to kind of round the Lakers into form by just being the plan backup C that we've all been hoping for and praying for. Um, and yeah, with that said, Tommy, it is lit. Yes, sir. All right. With that said, we will catch you guys later. Please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes. Tommy, do you want Carmelo Anthony on the Lakers? Hell no. Hell no. Nah. Is correct because we already got Michael Beasley. He's better than Carmelo Anthony, and he's not even playing. Sadly, he is. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Yes. All right. With that said, we'll catch you guys next time. Hopefully by the next recording, we're also recording a new episode after another win because this is just life now, everybody. Yeah, yeah. We're just win, 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 no matter what. <laughs> well, he said. 
right. <laughs> See you, dude. Later. This is what flow from Progressive sounds like in one of our many hilarious commercials. Hi, did you know that you can get a quote on your motorcycle insurance in under three minutes at Progressive.com? And did you know that saying hi makes even bad news sound good? Hi, you have high cholesterol. Hi, you're fine. And this is what that same commercial sounds like on your motorcycle. Hi, there's no more Yeah, even our commercials sound better on a bike. And with basic policy starting at $75 a year, Progressive helps keep you on yours. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.